It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hey everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to have on the show with me today, New York Times bestselling author, Jason Wright. Jason, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. It is my pleasure. It's so good to be with you. Well, so Jason and I have known each other for, it keeps going up every every year, right? It That's just, how it like, works. I know. <laughs> and I don't even know now. Isn't it something like 10 years? It's got to be a decade. Yeah, for it's sure. It's got to be a decade. We met doing Desert Books Time Out for Women and Girls and just have stayed in touch for years. We've done youth conferences and firesides and all sorts of things together. We've done all sorts of fun projects. We have some in the works that are still in the works that will maybe come out of the works at some point. That would be great. <laughs> Who knows? It's a surprise oh, though. Let's get those out of the works and <laughs> into the out. works, whatever it let's is. Let's get them out of the works and into the world. Someday we'll do that. But Jason is just an awesome, awesome person, super talented, author of books like The Christmas Jars and Wednesday Letters. And I mean, just just look him up. He's amazing. And we've been able to be just become really great friends. We have similar mindsets and values and just get along really well. His daughters are so beautiful and darling. And I met them when they were teeny tiny and now they're like having babies and at BYU. I know. It's I know. so crazy. It's just, it's weird because I don't feel like I get older, but then watching people's kids get older and like become adults is weird for me that I'm like, wait, no, I'm, I'm my mid to late thirties. I'm not, I'm not a teenager anymore. That's weird for me. Yeah. It's about. And I'm older than you are, and it's still weird. I know. And, I, and I've heard that. I've heard that they're like, once you reach like 21, your body gets older, but you kind of just still feel like, oh, yeah, I'm like a, a young adult. But then you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, I'm not. <laughs> I had uh, I had breakfast with this um, a couple this morning that are um, investors in one of my projects. So we try to go uh, and catch up over breakfast or lunch every couple months. And so just this morning – we're sitting there and um, in the gentleman, Dave, he looks across the table at me and he's like, dude, <laughs> you're getting old. Oh, he's probably 20 years older than I am. And he said, he's like, your hair is a little more gray than last time I saw you. And I said, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's what a global pandemic will do to a guy. For sure. That's how it works. I don't have gray hairs yet, but I definitely am, you know, a little softer around the middle and a little more wrinkly around the eyes. And Part of me thinks, ah, oh, embrace it. And another part of me thinks, oh, do everything to be chasing the fountain of youth. I go back and forth all the time on what, and I think women probably feel this way more than men, Jason. I don't know if you feel that way too, but just looking a certain way, staying young and beautiful forever. I know it's it's not possible, but we chase it as long as we can. And it's kind of exhausting keeping up with it, to be honest. Yeah. Amen. I hear you. I hear you. Embrace it embrace it embrace it because with age comes wisdom so let's talk about that a little bit i want to know what is one of the most important lessons i'm getting real deep real fast oh my yep what is one of the most important lessons within the last few years and covid probably affects us a lot that you have learned about embracing life as it is 
Hmm. Embracing life as it is. As it is that when things don't go as planned, because the older I get, the more I realize that they rarely do. And how can you still be happy and enthusiastic and optimistic about life as it is ever changing and evolving? Hmm. Well, how deep do we want to get? I mean, are we I going deep? Are we diving deep. in? Okay. I go deep. Are we allowed to talk about God and heaven on Absolutely. the Carmen podcast? Okay. Yes. You got to check all the boxes these days, Carmen. Yep. I know. Mine um, you know, one of the lessons I have pondered a lot lately that I, I think kind of ties into this um, kind of embracing life as it is. I think, um, I don't know when I sort of had this personal epiphany and this is not this will not be groundbreaking to anyone listening but to me it it was really significant as i was struggling through a hard time struggling through some disappointments that felt like they were very much externally generated you know some, sometimes we find ourselves in ruts and it's often our own fault and i've had lots of those where i've just made poor decisions or rash decisions or i haven't been as in line with heaven as maybe I, I should be. And so things go wrong and I'm like, ah, oh, like, you know, this is the result of your own decision-making. This is yep. why your life doesn't feel like it's imbalanced because I could directly link back to this, this, and this that I had done. Right. So this sort of just self-generated drama, I guess yeah. is one way to think of it. And then I got into sort of this period where I had a number of things happening to me that were really hard and unexpected uh, professionally and personally. And, and it was, I, I found myself sort of looking around going, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't ask for any of this. This isn't the result of my own, you know, poor choices or behavior. Yep. Like th these are things that are just sort of being forced upon me that I don't deserve. Yeah. And, I, and that phrase is like that really rung out in my, in my head when I had this kind of epiphany, like this is, and I would, and I would ask God frequently, like, why is this thing happening to me? I get all this other stuff because I was dumb. Yeah. And I, you know, and well, I, I wasn't did, dumb this time, th this time other people were, <laughs> Yeah. and you know, sort of why is this kind of happening to me? And, and so I, I promise I, I'm going to tie back to your question. I had this just a moment of seeing the scriptures sort of come to life in my mind. And I could picture a perfect savior of the world, a perfect man being mistreated and judged and tried and beaten and bruised and lied to and lied about and ultimately paying this unbelievable price for sins that were not his, right? And I thought, wait a minute, hold, hold on. So if it's okay for Christ to have things happen to him that are not his because of his own choices, behavior, sins, et cetera, et cetera, maybe it's not only okay for Carmen and Jason to go through some of those kinds of things, but maybe it's actually really important because there aren't many ways that we get to be like Christ in this life, right? We're yeah. trying, we're trying to be his disciples. We're trying to 
I'm trying to be like Jesus. You remember that, right? Yes. We're trying, but there aren't many ways that we get to taste a little bit of deity in this life. But that is one way I think that Jesus Christ says, if you really want to know what it's like to be a disciple, then I'm going to put you through some things that you're not going to understand and they're not going to obviously be your fault or result of your own choices. They're just going to happen to you. And it might be that divorce, or it might be the cancer diagnosis, or it might be the lost job or the lost house or the book that bombs or the record deal that doesn't happen. And I want you to recognize how this refines you. Because when you when you go through these kinds of experiences, you are getting a little taste of what I experienced for you. And so in a strange way, kind of being content with where I am and and like th this is life is me understanding that every single thing, whether it's a result of my own choices or the choices of people around me, is an opportunity to get to know Christ a little bit better. I just, I don't know how you go through life happy and joyful without ever having a bad day, without ever having a crisis, without ever just wondering why is this happening to me? I actually think that's a good question. Why is this happening to you? Because you're going to know Christ better. And don't we all want that? I love that thought. Why is this happening? Because we want to know Christ better. And as you were explaining that to me and talking, I had this thought that sometimes it's easy to think, well, it was easy, not easy, but Jesus Christ knew what he was doing um, when he was the Savior. He knew before he came to earth what his role was. He knew he would suffer. He knew he would have to take upon him, upon him all of the pains and, and the sicknesses and the ailments and the sins of, of us. He knew that. So while his life was not easy at all, his perspective, he had an eternal perspective. And then so so I thought, well, yeah, Jesus Christ, you know, people lied to him. Betray he knew that was going to happen. But then I thought, wait, but don't I? I, I? I did too. I made the same choices to come to earth. I don't know how much of our life was planned out or put in front of us. I know there are mixed feelings on that. My good friend, Meg Johnson, who is an amazing speaker here at our turtle house, she thinks that she knew that she was going to be paralyzed, that her life was laid out in front of her and she accepted that trial. Other people I've talked to have said, no, it's it's almost like there's all these different paths. And then because of our agency, we choose which one to go on. And then Heavenly Father's like, okay, I've got all, I've got all, I've got everything prepared depending on which path you choose. And then that happens. So I don't know what it is, but I feel like we did know at least in some part what, what was going to happen on earth and what we were going to get into and what our choices were. So yes, the savior knew, but so did we. And even though we, the veil is there and we've forgotten it, we still have that. We can still have that eternal perspective of, yeah, but I know things are going to work out. And yes, I did choose this. And like you said, the whole purpose is becoming like our savior and getting to know him and allowing him to help us through those things. And I, I think that the more we experience the difficulties and the trials, the more we are able to experience the joys and the happiness and all of the good things in life. It's it's the contrast that helps, even though it's really hard, especially if it's a really hard trial. It's easy to say, oh, I, you know, I didn't get that record deal. Oh man, that's, you know, it was a big, it affected me. But for other people, it's like, well, I lost my child. I lost my husband. Someone died. That those are those are harder to say 
okay, these are going to bring me closer to the Savior because those last the rest of your life and are difficult. So I, but I love the thought of everything is supposed to, if we let it bring us closer to Christ. Yeah. I just think if you, if you want to be like him uh, and again, they're so, I mean, there, there are virtually no other ways that we get to walk just as he walked in this life. Um, there just aren't. And that's the point, right? And even his disciples, when he lived, the 12 didn't walk exactly as he walked, as we know, but, but that's what we're trying to do. But that is, that is one of the areas where we, we get to sort of at least for a few minutes every day when we find ourselves on our knees in a place of complete desperation and sorrow, and we feel so broken, like, like maybe, maybe this is the moment that breaks us permanently. Yeah. In that moment, if we just pause and sort of close our eyes and remember, not only did Christ feel this already for you, um, but this is what he felt. And you're actually getting just a, a little taste of what it's like to be um, a savior. I don't know. It's, it's again, probably everyone listening goes, duh, like I've known <laughs> that forever. But for me, it was kind of an awakening. No, that is. I, and and I have never heard it put that way. And um, the moment that you're talking about like those I'm going to be broken. This is for sure will break me moments. Jesus Christ had two of those, one in the Garden of Gethsemane where he asked for the cup to be removed. Mm -hmm. Please take this away. That I imagine was his breaking point. Like he thought, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, can you, I can't, I can't imagine. And then, but of course he did, he persevered. And then again on the cross, like, why have you forsaken me? Heavenly Father withdrew his spirit and and left altogether, and he had to know what it was like to be completely alone. And it is comforting to know that someone that loves us so much that died for us has been through that and knows what it's like and came out conqueror. But it's the getting through that that's kind of hard. So tell me about the last couple years with, with COVID. What is a – how has that changed your, your mindset and your perspective on – your ability to get through trials and difficult things. Cause sometimes it feels like it's never ending. My kids are about to start school maybe mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, when will this be over? And I feel like I should have learned this. I should have learned that life is unpredictable. Go just, you know, roll with the punches, but I still feel myself being resistant to things that are beyond my control. And I get so much anxiety because of it. Has COVID helped you deal with that more or or do you feel like you're still learning that lesson of taking things as they come? Mm, yeah, that's such a great question. I, man, it has been, well, let me preface the answer with this. I, I don't know anyone personally. I have some, some fellow church members in our area that, that passed away that I wasn't particularly close with, didn't know them very well. No, no neighbors, you know, no family members. I know a lot of people who, who had COVID and who said it was the most miserable experience of their lives. But I personally can't say that I have been impacted in that way. So anyone who's listening that has been impacted where they've lost someone, my heart goes out to you. So I say that because I th- I go, my goodness, how did I, how have I gotten through this? This has been tough. It's been tough professionally, um, brutal on a career that has been um, largely based on on speaking gigs for, for years. I mean, I, I still write obviously, but you know, when you write a book a year, most writers, unless you were in the absolute top 
1%, you are doing other things like speaking and training and coaching and things like that. And all of those opportunities went away for, uh, and are only now maybe starting to poke their head out again. So just professionally, it was re really, really hard. But more than that, this whole experience reminded me how deeply I need people. I yes. am such, and I, I know, I know that you are too, um, not just because of your career, but from knowing you, you, we thrive on connecting with people. Yes. Whether it's on a stage or in a school, in an auditorium, or for me, if it's on a, on a plane, some of my greatest friendships and most interesting conversations I've ever had in my life have happened when I had been sitting by somebody on a plane or on a train um, and we're in a waiting room for three hours. And the, none of those experiences have really been able to occur. Even when I yeah. have been in a position where I felt like I might be able to have that kind of connection and to hear someone's story, which is my favorite thing to do is to just look at a stranger and say, tell me about yourself. Yes. Even those have been hard to have, right? Because people are yes. masked up or they're six feet apart or they don't want to engage. Yep. So I have found that I have had to really dig in and and remember, I think, what I knew on the other side, which is that Christ is my, he's my people. And, and as much as I need friends and neighbors and to socialize and to be out telling my stories and hearing people's stories and presenting and doing those things that bring me so much satisfaction um, and fulfillment. In the grand scheme of things, the, the only one, the one, the one that I need is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he is the gatekeeper to all joy and all happiness and all grace and all salvation. And, and so I've, I've really, I think my relationship with him maybe was a little bit more rocky at the beginning of this whole thing than I realized and having to, to turn to him in a lot of quiet moments over the last 15, 16, 17 months, whatever it's been, and just say, Hey, I am, I'm struggling without the things that I thought would bring me so much joy. Yeah. Um, I need you. And so I, I have, I have leaned on him probably more in the last year than I had since I was probably since my father died when I was in high school. Um, and that has been a tremendous blessing because he has said, Oh yeah, guess what? I've been here the whole time. So you talk about getting to know people and I, that's such a wonderful strength that you have is that you genuinely do want to get to know people. It's not a hi, how are you? And you know, fluffy stuff. It's, it, it's hi, how are you? Tell me everything about you. Tell me your story. I love that about you. So you actually did kind of a cool thing a couple of years ago where you'd, you'd ride in a car mm -hmm. and talk to people, normal everyday people about who they are, where they come from, what their story is. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was my giving a lift project, which um, sort of we we paused in part because obviously the the pandemic was making it kind of tough to. Uh, I mean, not a lot of people were were getting or giving rides from complete strangers. Yeah, um, but I I had a an experience or two when this whole thing kind of started. I guess three, almost four years ago where I, I've always given rides to hitchhikers or the homeless, whoever wanted them, even back in high school. And that's not to say how wonderful I am. It's probably not wise all of the time. <laughs> I was going to say um, that. That scares me. But I've, I've done that a few times to some grandpas in the grocery store parking lot who clearly did yeah. not know where their car was. But just someone that's random different. on the road like yeah. that 
now that's scary. Uh, and I've I have listened to the spirit a lot. I have had a few experiences where I have <laughs> tell me if I this have, one's a murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is does this one have a knife? Do is they it, how, have a how, how how big is it? Is, yeah. it, is it butter knife? Pocket Could I knife? fight them off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had a few of those experiences where the spirit has actually pretty clearly said, you know, just just drive on. Or I've had experiences where I've been chatting with someone and we've been talking about where they need to go. And the spirit has said, you know, give her, give them a $20 bill and thank them and move on. And I've, I've done that a few yeah. times. But I would say nine out of 10 times, um, I feel really good about it. And I have met some of the most amazing people. So back to where I began, I had a couple people in my car and we were having the most fascinating discussion as I gave them a ride about 30 miles up the road. And and uh, I said, you know what, could we film this discussion right now and let me edit it together and maybe post something for my audience on social media? Because I, I am feeling so blessed that I have this opportunity to meet the two of you today and to hear your story of wandering the country. I think other people might have the same reaction and really enjoy meeting you and and you're never going to meet any of these people unless we do something like yeah. this. And they're right. like, yeah, sure. Let's give it a shot. That's crazy. And it turned into, you know, something really beautiful and, and memorable. And um, that led to another and another and another. And then I, as I traveled around the country, at different events, I'd uh, try to carve out time, a couple hours here and there to, to give these rides. And some, some I used the footage and shared it with the world. Um, others, I had a couple that were just so deeply personal and emotional and um, just, we just kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, this is something just for us. Wow. Um, but I was always really careful. I never had a woman alone in the car with me. I, I tried to have, you know, couples as much as I could so that there was a witness. For <laughs> in sure. Case, in case things got <laughs> crazy. In case things went sideways. But I did have, I had a lot of fun with it. Then we put together a little 45 minute documentary, taking the best of some of these people and, um, and raise some money with that a couple of years ago for a homeless shelter. So yeah, giving a lift. One of these days I'm going to write a book called giving a lift and I'm going to take some of the stories and tell them, but. You should, because did you find that people were more open than not that they wanted to tell their story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Carmen, everyone has a story to tell and most never get asked. Most Why? Never Why do you think asked. they don't get asked? Because they they um, are invisible. And they're not really invisible, of course, but they begin to feel that way. And the more often we walk by them without a smile, without eye contact, without how are you. And I'm not talking about giving $5 to every panhandler who comes up to your card and intersection. Yeah. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just saying that we don't have to avoid eye contact every time we see someone that doesn't look like us or sound like us or smell like us. It's it's okay to look them in the eye and to say, hello, how are you, without giving them money. It's, it's okay. And every now and again, someone's going to yell at you or swear at you or say something mean because you didn't give them money. But those, I can tell you from many of my own experiences around the country, that those experiences are rare. Ge- genuinely speaking... People just want to be seen and heard for a few minutes. And many of the people that I picked up, I was the only person they had talked to for days and days oh and days. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine. Like you said, I we all need that connection, but I can't imagine not being able, even when I go like a day without talking to an adult, like if I'm just with my kids and I'm 
referring to myself in the third person all day. Mommy said no. Mommy said no. Mommy said no. Don't. And then just <laughs> connecting with someone like I haven't even talked to someone in the first person all day long. Even yeah. just the day of that is wearing and and difficult. And I can't imagine not having that human connection. Do you feel like those people, particularly the ones that are homeless or struggling, have sort of put their stories on pause, like with their situation that it's, they feel like they're not, it's, it, it, do you feel like the conversations you've had for them maybe kind of awoke like a little spark of, I do have a story. I do have something to offer. And maybe I want to keep that story going instead of just remain in this pause situation that I'm in right now of like, you know, living on the streets and not really working towards anything or expanding on their story. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. And their stories are all so, so different. And maybe that's the single greatest lesson I learned from the entire Giving a Lift project is that these these people that you see either with their thumb out or the sign up uh, or in a tent under a bridge, it's easy to group them all into one category and say, sure. oh, well, you know, they're they're lazy and they're homeless. Oh, my heavens to Murgatroyd, it's simply not true. Are there some who choose to be homeless and it's because they don't want to work even though they're perfectly capable? Well, sure. But there are also those who have been badly abused and beaten by loved ones, by spouses. There are children who have been completely neglected and thrown out into the streets. There are those who are um, battling drug addiction that you can't even wrap your head around until you're in it. And in many cases, it's because they were born into a family or a dynamic where addiction wasn't just part of the culture. It was expected because your parents were on heroin and your siblings were on heroin. And everyone right. who lives in your tent city in South Salt Lake are also on heroin and just as a part of what you're supposed to be. But they're all so different. Every story is so different. And I do I do hope that conversations with people. And again, this isn't just about me. There's no one listening right now that could not smile and wave and say hello for sure um, to someone that, and they don't even have to be homeless, by the way, go to Walmart, walk around, look for someone who is on their own, particularly if maybe they're a little bit older and they're wandering this, the store slowly. I know because I see people like this at my local Walmart all the time. Half the time, I think what they're doing is wandering the aisle slowly in hopes that someone will say hello. Just, just, just say hello. You don't don't have to give them a ride home. You don't have to offer to buy their food. Just say, uh, one of my favorite things to do is just to find the most ridiculous thing to compliment. The purse, the shoes, the hair, the bandana, the tie, right. the shorts, and just say, oh, those I need those shoes. I'll, yeah. I'll, I, could we trade shoes? You want to have a great conversation with them. Start with an easy, easy little opener like that and see where yeah. it goes. So let's talk about your story. For a little bit. So tell me a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up, all that, just like briefly. And But I really want to know, like, what was Jason like as a child? What got you interested in stories, both the writing and, and the telling and the interviewing of them? Have you always loved learning about other people and what was it that have you always been a bookworm? Have you always loved reading? What was it that had you? Cause I, I feel like most of our, our truest talents and, and loves of life were cultivated as children. Excellent question. Well, 
I was born a young poor child <laughs> in the suburbs of St. Louis. Um, I, uh, I'm the youngest of four uh, in a family that's that's pretty creative, um, non none by profession, but all by sort of hobby and passion. My my brothers write, my sister writes, my dad, um, who died when I was in high school, was an, an unbelievable writer and storyteller and maybe the world's best bedtime storyteller uh, just ever. And, and I, stories or yeah. like retelling? Okay. Uh, both to the point that it became hard to know what was what was real and what was <laughs> what was it? That's awesome. So I, I just I grew up in a home where uh, telling a story, holding a room on family night for fifteen minutes while you told what happened at the lunch table was it, like that was a gift. Like that was yes. You you better be able to stand up and to tell us and it you know whether it was in sacrament meetings, standing at a pulpit or um, you know on the bus on the way home from school. We just I don't know we grew up in a in an environment where that was really rewarded, the ability to just um, tell a story and make people feel a little something. And hopefully, you know, certainly in my dad's case, everything he wrote or told was always geared toward inviting people to be a little bit better. Yeah. And knowing that one story at a time, he could kind of make a difference that way. So I, I knew I wanted to write in the third grade. I've told the story many times of a third grade teacher who who, I mean, what third grader really has any idea how to write? I certainly didn't, but she knew right. that I liked to. And because she knew that I liked to, she was willing to, to really fuel that. And um, I mean, you know, by the time I got into middle school, I was thoroughly convinced that I would be a, a novelist one day, that this is what I would do. And then that I was that. fed by other teachers through the years. And, um, you know, I went to school and mission and marriage and all that good stuff. And I ended yeah. up dabbling in all sorts of other things before uh, finding my way back to uh, at least writing full time. And I just think it's, as, as you said, you know, you certainly sing differently now than you did when you were five years old. But I bet you at five years old, when you stood up and sang your favorite primary song, someone in the room went, oh, that's unusual. I have, so I have an experience with that. Our sweet primary chorister had this thing where if we could memorize the whole song and sing it as a solo in front of the primary, she would give you a ding dong. Oh, <laughs> we, but which is so funny that that, I mean, and I was like a ding dong, a ding dong or a Twinkie. Are those discontinued by the way? I don't even know. They're, they back. They're, they're back. They're back, baby. They're okay. Back. They're back. They're back. So, but that was like, oh my gosh, a ding dong, but you had to sing it word for word. And then as soon as you messed up, whoever raised their hand first, had to correct the word that they messed up on and then they could get up and sing the song and it helped everyone learn the songs. It was genius because mm. everyone was listening for the exact right words of, of the song. So it helped us learn our primary program songs really fast and we that. all wanted to get ding dongs. <laughs> so I remember I was singing, he sent his son and I was standing in front of the primary and I was eight. I mean, I was so young cause I was, it was senior primary, but senior primary, you know, only goes until like, 11. So I was eight years old and, or nine. And I stood up in front of the primary and I sang, he sent his son. And it was, so it was my first experience where I had exactly what you just talked about commanding a room. I felt like everyone is watching me in rapt attention. Like I have got them all. And it was, 
it was kind of interesting. Like I'd never had that before where I knew everyone was paying complete attention to me. No one was fidgeting and talking. And for primary, I mean, they're a hard group. Mm -hmm. So I got to where the part in the song and it says, what does the father ask of us? And I forgot the phrase, what does the father? And I paused for a minute and nobody raised their hand. Everyone was still in such rapt attention and the pianist kept playing. And then finally one little kid like came out of the stupor and he's like, oh, and my (laughs) primary chorister said, I am giving you a ding dong just for that performance. That was beautiful. And that was my first experience of like, people were paying attention to me and listening to me and, and liked the way that my Mm. voice sounded so much that they didn't even notice when I messed up. So that's so great. I know. So it was, so it was, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't, it was a little eight-year-old, nine-year-old voice, but that was like my first inkling of, oh, maybe I could be a singer. And that comes from God, right? I mean, that yeah. we do the work to to develop and grow the talents and, and you know, we learn this in the scriptures, like there, we have a responsibility to take that and to do something with it, but, but we don't create it. We're not the creator of that initial kernel, that little seed of talent. Yeah. I have no doubt that it comes from heaven. And so little Carmen comes to earth with this little, and you know, pretty early that, that it's there. And yes. I'm sometimes sad when I meet people who, um, and writing is a little bit different because every year there are a couple of, of big books that make a splash that are written by people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s. Writing is yes. certainly something that you can get into much later in life. Your industry is a little bit different, right? Yeah. If, if you're not really out there, um, I mean, good grief these days, if if you're not on TikTok with a fan base by the time oh, you're 15, I you're was probably too say old. 15 right? or 16. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. How old were you when you were on Idol? I was 17. Oh, you were so old. I was old. But I it, it I remember thinking, I am so ready. Like I know exactly what I want and exactly who I am. And I wish I could go back. I often wish I could go back and do it now in my 30s because I just feel like oh, you just you know who you are. You know your voice. You know your, what you're capable of. You know what work ethic is. I mean, I was like, stay up all night, take a ton of pictures, go to parties. Oh, and then I'll perform on national television tomorrow, practice three times. No big deal. Yeah. So I wish I would have done things a little bit differently. But yeah, it is. It's You do. You. I, I feel the same way. But even with writing, you can develop it later in life. But to have that little, that little spark, that little kernel, like you say, of, oh, I really enjoy I enjoy doing this. I like it. And people think I'm funny and, and they think I'm witty because writers are also off. They're, they're very clever and they speak clever and, and they say funny things and, and they, they have magnetic, magnetic personalities. Like people want to be around them. Like they look at things from different perspectives. They have different views on things instead of, well, what about this person? And well, what, what about this? Or you can like make up pretend scenarios. Well, what if we did this? And I bet you were really fun in high school that people really liked being around you. Um, yeah, I, I hope that that's true. I was probably way too full of myself in high school. I, All I was, teenagers are. I mean, I, I was probably <laughs> a little bit like you in the sense that I, oh, you have a 10 page short story due at 9am in first period tomorrow, you should, it's 2am. You should probably write that. Yeah. Um, I had, a, I had a lot of those experiences. But you could and get away with it and do really well. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably true. 
in part because I I did recognize that there was something in there that was um, that was not mine, right? Yeah. That, that had come to this come to this world with me. And everyone listening can relate to this, even if it's not writing or singing. It's it's something. I mean, I, I have a cousin who's a who is a math genius. I mean, just born into this world with the ability to see numbers and how they work, oh, and I, like no like no human I've ever known before. No. And he just knows it came from God. It's just, it's his thing. And he has turned it into a life and a career and a, um, and it brings him joy. So do you feel like everyone could turn their talents into, or are meant to turn their talents into careers or blessing others' lives? Or, or That is such a tricky, I love this question. I, so someone asked me this like 15 years ago and I, I, I probably, um, would answer it different today. Well, do you think that? Well, I definitely think they're meant to bless other people's lives for sure, especially creative talents, writing, singing. They are talents purely given to us to give away. It does me no good to sing in my room by myself. I mean, I enjoy it, but it doesn't bless anyone's life unless I record something and put it out there for other people to listen to. Your writing talent does you no good unless you write something and put it out there for other people to read and experience. So it's those kinds of talents. And I tell my little vocal students this when they get so nervous to perform, I'm like, this is the reason you are born with this. It's purely Mm -hmm. to bless other people's lives, to give away. And so, but, but then having a career of it and making it big, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that some people are, some people try their hardest and they're not able to do that. But then does heavenly father, magnify our talents when we use them at the right time and in the right way. I don't know. It's difficult. I don't, what do you think? That's why I asked you. Oh, it's so, it's so tricky. I have a friend <laughs> who, um, he's an actor. He's, uh, he's, I probably won't say his name, but he'd probably be familiar to, to some of your listeners. Um, I would think, and he is very talented. He is very, very talented and he has done, he has worked a lot. But he has, he also recognized after, you know, getting married and starting a family, like making, making it and, and paying the mortgage and saving for college and paying for healthcare and all those kinds of things you have to do when you're a self-employed actor, entertainer, singer, whatever, it's going to be pretty tough. So I I better do something else. And so he has built a wildly successful career in another profession. I mean, he is, he is in the top 1% nationally at what he does, which, wow. which has allowed him to do all kinds of things and to bless a lot of people's lives. It doesn't bring him a lot of joy, yeah, <laughs> but it, but it provides stability and, and security for his family. He's able to yes. provide beautifully for his family and he does, you know, he does the other artistic stuff kind of when he can on the side. Um, he is blessing lives with his talents. And I would argue that we could go down a whole rabbit hole here, but I would argue that he actually is good at his other job. It is real nine to five job because yeah. of the creative skills and talents that he has that he's they been able to complement each other. Ways. Yeah. But does everyone who drives, for example, the guy that drives the waste management trash truck in my neighborhood, I've gotten okay. to know he is the happiest dude. He drives a, he drive, he, he is actually a trash guy. That's what yeah. he does. For eight to 10 hours, uh, five days a week it, for waste management. That is what he does. And he 
is always smiling and always happy and always friendly. Did he come to earth with that talent? Pro- probably not. But did he come to earth with the ability to make people feel good? Like they matter to do a job that maybe other people would find demeaning. Maybe that, is that a gift? Do, could we come to heaven with that gift to do things other people aren't willing to do to make the world work? Oh yeah. Well, and, or the, the gift of optimism and, you know, and to be able to take a situation, like you said, that maybe other people would think, oh, can you imagine? Like, that's, why is that the first thing? That's the first thing people say, like, you don't want to be a garbage man when you grow up. Like, that's like the worst thing, a garbage man. But to be able to be happy with your circumstance and where you are in life and and what you do and to be like, this is enough. I'm, I'm happy with this. This is enough for me. I think to be content with what you have and where you are is a huge blessing and, and, and gift. I'm, I still feel like I'm searching for that to be content. I always feel like, should I be doing more? Am I doing too much? I don't know if I'm in the right place. I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing that. I feel like I'm at constant war. And a lot of that does have to do with having a creative mind and personality that what should I be creating? And, oh, but I have kids and, oh, but this isn't the right time. Or I feel something so big and then COVID hits or something happens and it doesn't work out. And it's, it's hard. I feel like I'm, I'm constantly wrestling with what should I be doing? And I would love to have that feeling of I'm doing enough. Mm, Boy, that's maybe the most profound thing you've said all day. That would be tremendous for any of us to be able to, to lay our heads down at the end of the day and, and say, yeah, I've done enough because I don't, I doubt many people listening can honestly say that we all feel like we should be doing one more thing. If there was one more thing you could be doing, what would it be? I've always wanted to write a musical based on Christmas (laughs) jars with my good friend, Carmen. And to see it. it go from stage to stage around the country every Christmas until we all die. I that is think. what I would like to be doing. <laughs> until we die. Well, maybe we can make that happen someday. I think we should just do it. And okay, here's a question for you. As we, you know, in the entertainment and business and, and the book business, a lot of it is your talent, but a lot of it is luck and timing. Absolutely. So when when do you feel like, okay, I'm just going to push for this and make it happen no matter what. Is that what makes you successful? Or is it honestly, truly sometimes just not the right time and things will happen when they're supposed to? Or do you believe that you make things happen when you want them to? Uh, I don't think that last bit's true in part because I think that that assumes some some godly influence that we don't have. So I, I know where that comes from and I teach workshops all the time and I have people just tell me, it's just, I am going to will myself to a bestseller list or to yeah. a film deal or whatever it is. And I certainly that's us doing the work that yes. will allow God to bless us when the opportunity comes. I, I think it's more a matter of, of kicking on as many doors as you possibly can until you find one that has already been opened a bit. Okay. Um, I, I don't. I don't think that. Um, surely there's there is a fair amount of luck and timing involved. I have been the beneficiary of that. If on a, on a future episode, 
well, we could go into the Christmas church origin story because that was there was a lot of luck involved in how that. Ooh, I'd love to. Life. But I, but I, I think that it's more being ready for the. It's such a cliche, Carmen. Oh, I know. Being ready for the opportunity so that when it's there, you have developed enough good relationships, you've developed enough great content, you have written so many great songs that by the time someone says, "Hey, this could be interesting," it's going to look like you're kicking the door down, but you're really not. You've just been pushing on a lot of doors until one was, was cracked enough for you. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I love that answer because it, it suggests that yes, we do have control over our, our lives and what we do, but there is sometimes a right time and a right opportunity. And sometimes you may kick a door down and look inside and be like, uh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, I really I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, and or then you'll do the one that's like, oh yeah, that one feels right. But I agree. I I feel like it shouldn't ever be, well, just wait until something comes. I think it's so important to continue to develop your talents, your entire life for when an opportunity comes, you can say, oh, I'm ready for that. I could do that because I've been cultivating this for years. But but it's it's hard in the waiting period sometimes to be cultivating and be like when is this coming? I've been cultivating for years and it still isn't here yet. That's difficult sometimes. Yeah. So Jason, tell me as we end this podcast, one thing that you want to do to do good in your community, what's something that you feel like this is something that I want to do that I feel like is going to make a big difference that I feel good about and that makes others feel good as well. Oh, that is such a lovely question. And I will give you an answer that might surprise you. I want to tell so many stories of kindness, true stories, not fiction. I want to, I want to highlight so many people's stories of genuine goodness and, and godlike kindness that it becomes mundane. Because every time I post something now out for the world, that is, look what this good Samaritan did, or look what someone did for Jason, or whatever. It goes nuts. I mean, if I want people to really react to my content, all I have to do is post about some good stranger deed on the side of the road. I don't think that should be the case. And I don't think that's the world that we should be trying to build. I think we should be so kind, so often, to so many people, no matter what they look like, no matter their orientation, no matter whether they go to church on Sunday or Saturday or not at all, we do it so much that it's simply not newsworthy. It's just, we need to be so kind that it's like, oh, okay, well, that's air, right? <laughs> right. I love that. And speaking of that, there's a new story going around about the runner from the United States. Did you hear about mm -hmm. that in the Olympics that was tripped from behind and, and, and he was I mean, talk about your opportunities and working your whole life and cultivating your talents. I mean, this comes around once every four years and five because of COVID, like they had to wait an extra year and he has this chance and he was going to get a medal second, maybe first. And he was tripped. And instead of freaking out and getting mad or whatever, he helped him up. He helped up the man that tripped him. And, and he's like, it's, that is a hero to me. He's like, I want to, I want to be a hero. And that's more than a medal. It's being kind. And that man apologized. And can you imagine like, and it, the, there was a title that said more than a medal. And I love that more than a best-selling book, more than a best-selling record, more than a medal. 
It's what you do every day, these little acts of kindness that make a big difference in other people's lives. And I truly believe that you can change the world with kindness and with love. And people look at your influence and what you do. And I I think that you have done so much good through your talents with your with your books and speaking and everything, but in just little things, um, the way that you live your life and the example that you are and the things that you post is so positive and uplifting. So thank you for that. And thanks for being that just one more positive voice for, for change that, oh, we can do this. We can do good. Anyway, just glad to know you, Jason. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh, absolute pleasure. Let's do it again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.